The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. You can join us live Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30, or 12, or you can join us online at cityrev.org. Well, when I was in college, I uh, was in a, a dorm, and it was an all guy's dorm. And so, I mean, you probably could have done like a, a science experiment in that environment. Just the smell alone probably needed to be addressed. Okay, but that in that uh, dorm, the way it worked uh, on our floor, all guys about probably between 80 and 100 guys. There's one lobby, three different halls that went off of that lobby. And um, every now and then, um, what would happen in that lobby, there'd be like a group of guys, who's often like late at night, and every now and then, a spontaneous wrestling tournament would break out right there in that lobby, okay? And if what you're envisioning when I say wrestling tournament is like the Olympics, you probably need to think more like Lord of the Flies, okay? It's definitely more on that, on that spectrum. We're talking like just testosterone breeding over into like idiocy, okay? Just a bunch of idiots making a lot of noise. And what would end up happening is there could be, I mean, 30, 40 guys in this large circle, and then, you know, one guy would call out another guy on the other side of the circle, and if you got called out, I mean, you're going into the circle, okay? You're not, you're, you're not backing down from that. You'd never live that down. So if you get called out, you're going into the circle, and, you know, in our minds, it was like mortal combat, like a test of manhood to the death, and it was probably, now that I'm thinking back, just a lot of slapping and things like that, but we would engage in this wrestling tournament, and um, I remember, like, it was always just, like, everyone's amped and shouting and screaming and jeering and laughing and taunting, and it's just, it's just crazy, okay? Everyone's just out of their minds, and there was this one guy in particular, his name was Nate, and Nate was not a very big guy, and he was actually kind of quiet, but something would come over him when he would get in the middle of the circle. The guy would go crazy. He would just go berserk. Like no one ever wanted to mess with Nate. I mean, he would take on guys and defeat guys like twice his size. And um, I remember one time, there's this one moment that I'll never forget. Um, all these years later, there's this one moment I'll never forget. Nate was in the, like went out in the circle and he called out one particular guy. His name was Dave. Now, Dave was our RA on the floor, one of our RAs. He was a senior. That means he was like the, the, one of the leaders on the floor. And no one had ever seen him wrestle. We all loved Dave. No one, he had never been called out before. A super nice guy, always had a big smile on his face. Um, athletic guy, you know, he would always just kind of sit back and just laugh at everyone's uh, stupidity. But Nate, the crazy Nate, calls out Dave. And uh, I remember we're all like shocked. Oh, what's going to happen? And everyone's getting amped up. And Dave just uh, walks out and he's just got this confident smile. And then he gets kind of in an athletic position like this. And Nate, in just some crazed war cry, just lunges at Dave. And, and what I saw next, I'll never forget. Dave just calmly took Nate in, under full control and just helped him to the floor immediately. He then proceeded to, not quick, not fast, he proceeded to get on top of Nate and immediately put him into a full submission hold. And within a matter of seconds, he had surgically disarmed Nate and he, was in, he had to tap out. He was done. And the entire time, Dave had the same smile on his face the whole time. 
We were all shocked. We'd never seen anything like this. No one had defeated the crazy Nate, and especially not someone like that calm and surgical. And we're all looking around, and his roommate started laughing. His roommate had been his roommate for four years. And we're like, what? what's so funny? He's like, yeah, I, I guess you guys didn't realize in high school Dave was a wrestling state champion. <laughs> None of us had ever known that, and no one took Dave on again in wrestling, Okay. And I remember stepping back and thinking about Dave. I'm like, man, for months, whenever this happened, Dave would just sit back and smile at us being a bunch of idiots. He felt no need to get in the wrestling uh, ring. He felt no need to prove himself. And the entire time he's watching, just enjoying the, the idiotic insanity, he felt no threat by any single person. He actually didn't even feel the, the need to prove himself. And the entire time he was so confident until his moment came to let everybody know who was really in charge when it came to this battle um, for manhood in the wrestling tournament. And I remember wondering myself, man, what? What must it be like to be Dave in that situation? Like, what must it be like to be Dave having just full confidence, like, not phased, even though everyone else is going insane, just confident the whole time there is not a threat in the room to Dave? And then I was thinking, what would it be like to carry that into other, like, segments of my life? So what would it be like if, like, every situation, like I had Dave's confidence. You know, things get crazy at work or things get, you know, crazy at home or there's maybe relationship tension or financial tension or health tension, but I still have that just unfazed confidence that nothing is really a threat. What would it be like, like if everything in society was going crazy and everyone's acting insane, but I was able to just maintain this knowing confidence that there's really no, no threat. You know, it's actually something that the Bible speaks to, and it's actually something that the Bible talks about can be ours. Here's how. I want you to open to John chapter 18. We're going to look at verse 33. John chapter 18 we're going to start in verse 33. Let me give you the background while you're opening there. If you have a Bible or Bible app, go ahead and open with us. Uh, John chapter 18, verse 33. Um, John is a disciple of Jesus. He's an eyewitness. He has written down the story of Jesus' ministry. He's a biographer of Jesus, and he, he, he it, saw it himself. He's seeing it himself, and he wrote it all down. And we're in, in chapter 18. What this part of the story is, is Jesus is standing before a Roman official named Pilate. Pilate is the highest-ranking Roman official in Jerusalem. This is the morning of the crucifixion of Jesus. This is what happens just a few hours before that. Now, the night before was Thursday night, and on Thursday night, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying with his disciples. Judas comes into the garden. He has a cohort of soldiers with him. He approaches Jesus, kisses him on the cheek, the, the, uh, the kiss of betrayal. And they arrest Jesus. He's been on trial by the, by the Jewish religious leaders. They've falsely accused him. And now they've brought him to Pilate. They want Pilate to kill Jesus for them. So here's Jesus standing before Pilate. Here's how this discussion goes. 
And we're going to learn something about what Jesus says about the concept of kingdom. This is part one in our series, Kingdom. Let's pick it up in verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? I don't know if you noticed, but uh, Jesus did not answer the question. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, well, okay, did you come up with that question or did someone plant that question in your mind? He says, are you the king of the Jews? Here's what Pilate wants to know. Pilate wants to know, Jesus, do you think you're the king? And if you think you're the king, I need to know because that would be a threat to the Roman Empire. Here's how the Roman Empire has worked. They've conquered most of the known world at this time. Their domain stretches all across um, much of the continents. And they, while their domain and their rule is over many, many territories... That doesn't mean if you live there that you are a citizen of Rome. If you are an actual citizen of Rome, then you might be under their domain, but you might not be a citizen. If you're a citizen, then you have um, extra rights. Well, the rule and domain of Rome extends into Israel, into Jerusalem in this time period, and they are, the Romans, very, very squeamish about uprisings. They don't want someone trying to start an insurrection. They don't want rebels rising up. They are very squeamish about that. And so Pilate wants to know, are, are you, do you see yourself as king? Okay, are you going to be a threat? Now, Jesus doesn't answer that question, but that is a very, very interesting question for Jesus, isn't it? Is he the king of the Jews? Well, what about Herod? I mean, Herod's, you know, officially under Roman rule, kind of like the king, but is Jesus king of the Jews? Well, that's um, kind of a deep question, a rich question there, Pilate. I mean, a thousand years earlier, King David was promised that a king would come from his line, born in Bethlehem, and would sit on the throne and rule for all times. But Jesus doesn't go into that. He's wisely, brilliantly sidestepping that. So, well, where are you getting that question, Pilate? Here's what Pilate says next. Verse 35, Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. I don't know if you noticed, but he uh, didn't answer the question again. What have you done? Well, that's a tough question to answer, Pilate. Um, Let's see. Are you talking about when I turned water into wine or walked on the water or healed a a lame guy or paralyzed guy or raised Lazarus to life or fed 5,000 people or taught or told the Pharisees that they're whitewashed tombs or preached the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon in the history of the world? Like, which of those things do you want to know? What have I done? That's a hard question to answer. So instead, Jesus answers the first question. He says, "Let let me get to what you're really asking. What does Pilate want to know? Are you a threat? He says this, my kingdom is not of the world. He's talking about his his heavenly kingdom. But let's just dial in on that. Let's just be real clear for a second. What does he mean the kingdom is not 
of this world. Like, what is he trying to say? Like, is he saying, like, my kingdom is distant? Like, they don't intersect? Like, it's way far away. My kingdom's up in heaven. This kingdom's down here. You know, they're separated. There's, there's no overlap. Like, what does he mean? It's not of this world. Well, what he's saying there in the original Greek, the, it comes out saying his kingdom is not coming up out of the world. Jesus' kingdom is not a product of this world. There are not powers in this world that have created this kingdom. The genesis of his kingdom is not coming up out of the world. It's coming from somewhere else from this world. Now, as to whether that kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, has an impact or effect or domain over this world, Jesus hasn't commented on that yet. All he said is, my kingdom is not a product. It's not coming up out of the systems of this world. It's something else entirely. And then he offers evidence. I don't know if you saw this. He's offering evidence of the fact that his kingdom is not of this world. He describes something about his citizens, his followers. There's an attribute of my followers that demonstrates to you that my kingdom is not a product of this world. And that's a, that's a common dynamic, isn't it? Like, depending on the culture that we're from, we reflect the culture we come up out of. So uh, my wife, Rebecca, she's a, a, a counselor. She's a clinically licensed social worker. And when she was pursuing her, her degree, she um, did an internship in India. And when she got back from that time in India, she was just telling me, like, all the things that she experienced and, you know, all of the stories and, and how just, just the, the experience of going cross-culturally was just such a rich experience in and of itself. She's like, man, there's things that we as Americans did that they thought were weird and there are things that, and I never thought that someone might handle something like that different and have a different expression or a different reaction. There are things that they did that felt weird. I'm like, like what? Like what happened? She says, well, in this particular part of, of India, um, there was just, they, they did things a little bit differently. Like, so for example, like two guys who are friends, she said it might not be uncommon for those guys to walk down the street and hold hands. And she said, so there's one time that there was a guy that was, he was getting to know his, this, this uh, guy that was from that local area. And as they're walking down the street, the guy grabs his hand. And he's like, whoa, yo, dude, what's going on there? And he had to learn. I mean, look, if you come up out of another culture, there are things that you might think are, are weird, but they're totally natural. There are things that they might think are weird that are totally natural. And that's just a product of culture. So Jesus is saying this. He's saying, my followers, the citizens of heaven, he says, there's an attribute that they have. There's something that they're doing or not doing. There's something, an attribute of my followers that demonstrates to you they are not from this world. And here's what he said. He says, my kingdom's not of this world. You can see that because my followers are not fighting right now. If I was, if my kingdom, if I was a king of an earthly kingdom and I was arrested by the Jewish people standing before you, Pilate, then my followers would be fighting to get me released. But my kingdom is not of this world. Now, I want you just to um, think about that for a second. The attribute of the demonstration that his kingdom is not of this world is that his followers are not fighting for his release. But think about that. That is true in that moment, but that was not true the night before, Right? Let's, let's go back over it again. Judas comes in. 
He's got armed soldiers. Judas goes up, kisses Jesus on the cheek. And uh, do you remember what Peter did? Pulls out a sword, strikes a guy, gets him on the ear. Can we talk about that for a second? Like, most swordsmen are not, like, aiming for the ear, okay? Like, Peter's got bad aim. You know, probably later they're like, Peter, I mean, that was kind of embarrassing, okay? Like, just stick to fishing, okay, buddy, because that was bad, all right? Peter pulls out a sword, strikes the guy, hits the dude's ear, and what does Jesus say? Did he say, come on, guys, get him? He says, Peter, put your sword away. He picks up the guy's ear and heals it. And then he says this. He says, don't you know that I'm going to drink the cup that the Father gives me to drink? What does he mean? What's the cup? The cup is a cup of wrath. That's the biblical term for wrath. In other words, Jesus what, what, did he, what is he doing by being arrested and then crucified and then he's going to rise again from the dead? What is he doing? He's taking God's wrath as if God had poured it into a cup and he's drinking down the wrath that the sin of the world deserves, the wrath that we as sinners deserve. He's going to drink that down symbolically by being crucified. He's going uh, he's to extinguish the wrath of God on the cross. He's saying, I, I'm, this is the Father's path for me. See, Peter didn't quite get it at that point. He still thought it was an earthly kingdom, not a heavenly kingdom. But Jesus corrected that, and his followers are not fighting because he has an earthly kingdom. Okay, hold on to that thought. Let's see how this plays out. Pick it up in verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a, what's the word right there? He was a robber. All right. Pilate, he doesn't know what to do with Jesus, but he doesn't seem to feel like he's guilty. He goes back out to the crowd. He says, look, this guy, I don't think this guy's guilty. He's like, but here's what we could do. I have a custom. I release one prisoner at Passover. Shall I release him? Do you want Jesus back? And the crowd shouts, no, we want Barabbas. Now, why do they want Barabbas? Apparently, Barabbas is a robber. Why would you want a robber to be re-released out onto your streets? I mean, didn't he just rob from you? Okay, we got to zero in on that word robber for a second because that helps us understand the context of this whole dialogue between Jesus and Pilate and the religious leaders and Pilate and Jesus. There's this whole political undertone and we can see it come to life if we understand this word, this ancient Greek word we're translating robber. There are two ancient Greek words that can be used for someone who steals. The first word is kleptes. 
Now that sounds like, and it's where we get our word klepto, like kleptomaniac or kleptomania. We get it from that Greek word. That word kleptes, what that means is someone who is sneakily stealing something from you. So they pickpocket or they shoplift. They are using stealth to steal something. That is a kleptes. There is another term, lestes, that means something different. It is another way you can steal. There's another way you can steal from someone without doing it stealthily. I think that's a word. Without doing it stealthily, you can do it by force, like a pirate. Pirates are not stealthy. They just come up in their pirate ship, they point their cannons at you, they try and shoot all these cannonballs, they board, they steal your stuff right in front of you. Why? Because they are using force. That is what a laystace is. In that time period, they would use this term, laystace, to describe someone who is trying to overthrow. There was a group, an extremist group among the Jews in this time period called the Zealots. They were doing everything they could to overthrow the Romans. These Zealots were often called laystace. They are using force to try and steal power. So when it says Barabbas was a robber, the force there is Barabbas was an insurrectionist. Barabbas tried to incite an insurrection. He tried to overthrow. That's who Barabbas is. Now, this is an important word. Let's roll it back a little bit. When they came to arrest Jesus the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane, after he tells Peter, put away your sword, he heals the ear. Then he looks at all the guys with all their swords and clubs, and he says this. He says, am I a robber that you come out to me with all these weapons? Jesus is not saying, am I a pickpocket that you come out with weapons? You don't need a lot of weapons to arrest a pickpocketer. But he's using the word lestes. He's saying, am I like starting some kind of insurrection that you have to come to me with soldiers? When it says that Jesus was crucified in between two thieves, it's not talking about kleptes. The Romans did not crucify shoplifters. That'd be a little extreme. But they did crucify people who tried to start an insurrection. Jesus is crucified in between two insurrectionists. That's what the ancient Greek wording there, leistes, is meaning. Here is the undertone of this entire dialogue between Jesus and Pilate. Pilate is trying to figure out, Jesus, are you trying to start an insurrection? Jesus, are you a leistes? Are you trying to overthrow? Are you a threat, Jesus? That's the whole question. Now here's how this plays out. Pilate walks out. There's two people. He says, do you want Jesus? They say, no, we want the other insurrectionist, Barabbas. They're trying to insinuate Pilate. He's a worse insurrectionist than Barabbas. And it almost looks like, um, you know, Jesus gets crucified the next day in between two other insurrectionists, they're probably all in cahoots. It's very suggestive that Jesus is crucified in place of Barabbas, in the spot that should have been the spot for Barabbas. 
What happens then is once they say they want Barabbas, Pilate doesn't know what to do. He takes Jesus and he flogs him, which means he whips him within an inch of his life. Then in mockery of his kingdom, puts a scarlet robe around him, twists a crown of thorns, brings him back out, and he says, behold your king. They say, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate comes back in, talks to Jesus a little more. At this point, Jesus stops answering him. Pilate says, don't you, don't you appreciate? I have the power, I have the authority to crucify you or not. Don't you realize that? And Jesus now speaks and says, any authority that you have has been given to you from above. Pilate doesn't want to kill this guy. He brings him back out. He says, what, do you, what should I do with your king? And they say, the religious leaders, anyone who releases this man is no friend of Caesar's. We have no king but Caesar. At that point, that's all Pilate needs to hear. He surrenders Jesus to be crucified, washes his hands of the whole thing. Why? They know. They don't believe he's an insurrectionist. They, they're just jealous and believe he's maybe a blasphemer, but they are giving the words to Pilate to get him to execute Jesus for them. They're trying to convince Pilate that he is an insurrectionist. That's the question. And in so doing, they say, We've got an, we have an earthly king, essentially, Caesar. Our allegiance is to an earthly king. So let's ask this question for a second. That's the number one question that Pilate's trying to figure out. Let's answer it. Uh, is Jesus trying to lead an insurrection? Is Jesus a rebel? Is Jesus trying to overthrow? Is he an insurrectionist? What, what's, the, what's the answer? Well, no. But Why? Well, I mean, you know Jesus, he's so mild and meek. I mean, he wouldn't hurt anybody. No, that's not why. Well, Jesus, I mean, he's a nonviolent. He's a pacifist, so that's not, you know, he would never do something like that. No, that's not why. Well, he's, I mean, you know, Jesus is a good teacher. He taught some moral principles. He's just trying to help us all live our lives a little bit better. I mean, that's all he's there to do. He just wants, hey, if you listen to Jesus' teachings, your life will be a, a little bit better. No, that's not it. Well, maybe, you know, I know he's not trying to lead some, like, overthrow, some insurrection. He's not trying to do that. I mean, because after all, I mean, his kingdom, it's a heavenly kingdom. It's not, there's nothing to do with the kingdom of earth. He doesn't want to mess with that. No, that, that's not why either. Jesus is not an insurrectionist because he's already on the throne, Jesus is already king. He's not trying to lead some kind of overthrow. He already has all the power. That's what he's trying to tell to, 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 his, to his followers. He says, look, you pull out the sword. You're lopping off ears. Don't you realize that my heavenly father has planned this out? God is still completely in control. That's why I'm going to walk through this. You don't need to go around lopping off ears. 
That's why it says to Pilate, he says, the only authority you have has been given from above. Jesus is already on the throne. He is already king. He's king above all. He's, he's king of a heavenly kingdom. What that means is he's king over the heavens. The entire universe is under his domain. That means our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, is under his domain. That means our solar system with the sun and Saturn and Earth and the moon and all of those things, that's under his domain. That means all of the empires and countries on our planet are under his domain. That means our country, our city, your house, and you are under the, the domain of his rule. Why is Jesus not an insurrectionist? He's already king. He already has all of the power and all of the control. So then that brings us to this question. Where is our allegiance? To a heavenly king or to an earthly king? Earthly kingdoms or a heavenly kingdom? Where is our first allegiance? Where is our primary allegiance? Because what Jesus is saying is he's saying he has a kingdom that is not coming out of this world, but it is a kingdom that is invading into this world. It is a kingdom that's coming to bear on this world. It is a kingdom that has as its domain this world and all worlds. And so where is our first allegiance? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, before you reflexively say, well, of course, it's first and foremost to Jesus. Jesus gave us evidence. What does a citizen of heaven look like? What do his followers look like? He, he gave us evidence. He said, my followers, an evidence of their allegiance to a higher kingdom is they're not fighting. They're not fighting for my release they're not furiously feeling threatened. They're not wondering if, if things have spiraled out of control. They're not wondering if I'm on the throne or not. They know that even in the darkest hour when I'm arrested by the, by the Jewish religious leaders and I'm standing before Pilate and I'm about to be crucified and I'm dead and buried before I rise again from the dead, even in the darkest hour, they trust that I am still on the throne. He says that is an evidence of, of a citizen of heaven. We have a higher allegiance than any allegiance here. And that is evidenced by the fact that we're confident that our king is on the throne. And there's nothing that threatens that. You know, what's interesting is um, there are two different parties on two different sides here. There was um, Peter who followed Jesus but thought it was an earthly kingdom. And there were the religious leaders who were jealous of Jesus, who thought he was setting up an earthly kingdom, and both used violence. Peter was, while he thought it was an earthly kingdom, was lopping off ears. Why? Because he thought, oh no, I've got to protect Jesus. Oh no, things might be going downhill. Oh no, we might not be able to, to survive this one. I need to step in. But Jesus says, you want to know the citizens of heaven, you know that they're not trying to fight to free me. Why? They, they've got a confidence that is not threatened. So Christ's follower, let's ask ourselves some questions right now. In this season, 
of our society. I mean, things are, things are crazy right now. Everywhere you look, I mean, people are angry and anxious, fearful, just, just spewing out hatred on each other. I mean, everything is, is combative and contested. Do I have a demeanor of someone whose allegiance is first and foremost to the earth, or do I have the demeanor of someone that knows that my king is on the throne and nothing's going to change that? Can we just take some inventory for a second? If you were to take inventory of your, your social media posts, if you were to take inventory of the, the comments back and forth, does it reflect someone who's calm, gentle, patient, confident in the reign of your Savior? Because there's a lot of things going on in social media back and forth that's, that's violent. You're like, what do you mean violent? I'm not lopping off anybody's ears. I mean, it's not violent. Well, what did Jesus say? He says, if you have hatred in your heart, it's actually murder in your heart. When we use, we, we can tear people down. We can be combative and we can be angry and we can be hateful. Are we, are we wishing bad things? Are we wishing that someone would just crumble? Are we, or do we have that same spirit? Like just take inventory for a second. Are you at rest in your heart with the confidence that nothing can threaten the reign of Jesus? How about that, that um, rival at work? Or that rival at school who's made your life difficult. They've made your life miserable maybe. Man, what's my demeanor? Do I feel this impulse to get back at them? That impulse to strike back. Well, I mean, what do you want from me? They're my enemy. Well, what Jesus said. He says the world loves their friends and hates their enemies. That's what the world does. What, what I'm telling you to do is love your friends and love your enemies. So that impulse that impulse to strike back, what is that? That's me feeling afraid that Jesus is not capable of upholding justice, so I've got to draw my sword and make sure I exact justice. Have the confident, calm demeanor of someone who is not threatened about your king's reign. How about that friend who's betrayed you? And your impulse is to kind of gather the rest of the friend group and kind of make sure that that person's pushed to the outside. You're, you're, you're inside, there's all, there's this anger and resentment and maybe it's hatefulness, hatred. Is there a, a, a rest that your king is in control and knows what's happening in your life and reigns and rules and knows the path he's asking you to walk? Here, let's get it, let's make it just real for a second. How about that ex-spouse that has deeply wounded you and maybe now is poison, trying to poison your kids against you? You gotta know your king is gonna uphold justice. Be confident that nothing shakes that your king is in command on the throne. Christian, that is a marker of having a higher allegiance. Because you know what's you know what's behind 
all of the combativeness and anger. You know what's behind all of that just bickering and fighting and fury and rage, all behind all of that, do you know what it is? It's fear. It's fear. Furiously trying to make sure that things remain the way you think they should be. It's fear. What Jesus said is, my followers are not afraid. They know that I am in command. They feel no need to fight on my behalf. They're confident that I reign. Why am I bringing this, all this up about the kingdom of God and our citizenship in, in heaven? Because we can be free, Christian. Free of all that turmoil, all that the feeling so vulnerable, so threatened, feeling so anxious, so fearful, so angry, so hateful. And rest in who our God is and that he is on the throne and nothing changes that. And so here's what I want to do. I, I want to just end this time of teaching by just reading this over you. Can you just receive this today? I want to read Psalm 46 over you and be reminded that your king reigns. Nothing will change that. Not yesterday, not today or tomorrow. Nothing will change that. Can you receive this? Here's what it says. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, he will not, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come. Behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Christian, is that good news for you today? There's a story where Joshua is um, about to uh, approach. They've just crossed over the Jordan. He's about to approach Jericho, this fortified city, this incredible wall. And I mean, who are they? They've just been wandering around the wilderness. How are they supposed to fight this wall, that, this, this incredible fortress of Jericho? And as you know the story, they uh, absurdly, God empowers them to walk around it and the walls fall down. Well, right before that happens, Joshua is off by himself. He's spending time uh, alone with God, praying. And all of a sudden, a soldier appears. He's got a sword drawn. And Joshua says, okay, are you on our side or are you on their side? 
And he said, no. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. What does that mean when you take off your sandals? That means you're in the presence of God. That means it's the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ standing there with sword drawn, the one who, who reigns, the one who leads the armies of heaven into battle. And when Joshua said, well, whose side are you on? Are you on our side or their side? He says, no, wrong question, Joshua. I'm on God's side. I'm on my own side. The question is, are you on my side? That's the question. Christian, where is your allegiance? Our allegiance is to King Jesus. He is on the throne. And nothing's going to change that. You say, well, what do I do? I've got just, I've got so much fear. I've got so much anxiety. I've got so much anger. What do I do? Well, if Jesus is the king and he's not an insurrectionist, but he's actually the one who rules, then actually who is the insurrectionist? Well, it's anyone who puts anything ruling other than Jesus. That means every time I break his command, every time I sin, every time I put myself on the throne, I've rebelled. And so all those people I see as enemies, I'm in the same spot as them. Leave that self-righteousness behind. We're all insurrectionists. And the only way we're saved is that Jesus takes our place and he dies in our place, a rebel's death. That's what he's done for you. That's the grace he's done for you. Christian, you go spread that love and grace to everyone you meet, no matter who they are. But some of you are here and you're saying, look, how do I become a citizen of heaven? Because, you know, just because you're living under the domain of Jesus doesn't mean you're a citizen of heaven. But that's offered as a free gift. Jesus paid for that by forgiving your sins. He drank the cup of wrath. He paid the penalty for your sins and mine. And he's offering you the, the gift of becoming a citizen of the, of the kingdom of heaven. You can do that today. You can have a higher allegiance to Jesus. Make him your savior. Make him your king today. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer. So wherever you're at, maybe you're driving in the car, you're watching on your phone or on your TV or you're sitting on your couch with your friends, your roommates or your family, just take a moment. Would you bow your head? And just if you want to take that moment, become a citizen of heaven by the power of Jesus today. Just take this simple step of faith like a child. Put your faith in Jesus today. Let me just lead you in a simple prayer. Just right there in your seat, silently repeat these words after me. Say, Jesus, you saved me. You forgave me. You're my savior. I make you my savior. You're my king. I surrender to you. My allegiance is to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if that was your prayer just then, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to cityrev.org slash faith. I want you to click on that link right there. It's on the screen or in the comments. We want to know. We'd love to send you a Bible. It's just going to ask you a couple questions so we know where to send that Bible. We want to follow up with you as you begin this journey walking with Jesus. But here's what we're going to do. We are going to enter into a time of worship. We're going to reflect. So whether you're sitting there at home, wherever you're at, just take this time and reflect 
of the rest that we have knowing who is in control. Let's worship together. Let's sing together. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.